Hello and welcome to This Way Up. I'm Rebecca Roundtree and in this series I talk to a number of leading women in the creative industry, looking specifically at the good, the bad and the ugly of their career. In this episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Tasha Croning. Tasha is the co-head of Interactive at Droga5 New York uh, and is a powerhouse. That's the kind of best way of putting it. Um, She is a producer at heart, um, but she knows all different skills because she started in the film industry. So she's collected different skills along the way. This upbringing has meant that she knows her skills, but more importantly, she learned things like how to stand up for yourself when a cup of coffee is thrown at you. And that is a true story. How to stand up to these types of bullies and instead become a inspirational role model for your team. But also, how do you permit yourself to ask questions, even dumb ones, to really get to the crux of the problem? And she really explains the importance of of doing that. And finally, how to be a yes person as a producer. You know, often they have to sort of really get to grips with the problem and it's too easy to go for a no. But she says, um, rightfully, that she reserves her nose and she will always try to find a way. Truly fascinating story and I can't wait for you to hear it. But before I do, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Sherry Duck, my trusted production friends who have helped me edit this podcast. Now, without further ado, here's my lovely conversation with Tasha. So Tasha, thank you so much for coming to This Way Up, the podcast. Um, As I explained earlier, the way I always start is kind of from your humble beginning, Um, but maybe we could start with where you went uh, to uni. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I actually went to uh, the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. I went to film school there. Um, mm. and I'm, I'm old, I'm like dinosaur <laughs> old. So film old. school was actual film, right. uh, you know, so we were, you know, studying everything about film theory, but at the same time, making tons of films on, uh, super eight and super 16. And then we did our, you know, thesis film on 35 millimeters. So, you know, we, we had to shoot it and we didn't know if the, you know, the shots came out until we actually exposed the film and started editing. So a bit of a riskier time, pretty, uh, but fun, right? Oh, incredibly fun. I mean, to, to actually physically handle film and, and cut it and splice it together was super exciting. Um, and a bit stressful, you know, when your homework every week is to, to write, cast, shoot, edit a film to then show in front of, you know, your peers. And the school that I went to, quite a number of um, famous filmmakers graduated from there. So I had some instructors comparing me to former students that I just felt, you know, it was a bit unfair. Okay. (laughs) Wow. Um, But, but wonderful. And, um, you know, I grew up on the East Coast in Washington, D.C., and then left home at 18 to go to school in L.A., um, and after graduation, I, I stayed in Los Angeles uh, and started my career 
in film um, working for a company um, that I was familiar with growing up because I had two older sisters who had wonderful taste in movies and would take me to all of the funky foreign mm-hmm. films and um, American independent cinema. And I, I got to work at Samuel Goldwyn Films, who in the States released films such as Sid and Nancy and La Femme Nikita and, um, um, you know, oh my, and, and Madness of King George and a lot of the, um, you know, foreign and independent cinema um, prior to it being kind of a, a, a big, huge wave. Mm. So um, I, uh, so yeah. amazing a bringing so far. Yeah, I was, you know, very, very lucky. Um, and uh, yeah, and then while I, at Goldwyn, I got to work directly with Samuel Goldwyn Jr., who was, wow. you know, the son of the G and the MGM, mm. um, and travel the world, got to go to, you know, Cannes and Berlin and Sundance and Toronto film festivals regularly, trying to find, um, you know, young or undiscovered filmmakers films that have been completed that, you know, we would want to release in the United States, um, as well as just nurturing talent. Um, Hang on a minute. If we could just pause here. That's an incredible job to start with. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty, pretty awesome. Like, did you have loads of friends jealous? And how did you feel about the whole thing? I felt a little overwhelmed. I mean, that was my, to be fair, that was my third job out of school. While I was in school, I also worked at a, um, a, a modern, basically a mid-century modern furniture store. And then um, during college, I worked at a couple of film festivals in LA. So I got to know several of um, people who worked at, you know, Miramax, um, at Fine Line, that was, you know, a company at the time at Focus Features, Fox Searchlight, and at Samuel Goldwyn. So I developed some relationships mm. with um, those people. Um, and then I did a short stint working on a, a kids' television show that was produced by the same company that did the Power Rangers. Wow. Um, <laughs> that show was called Mystic Nights of Tiernanog. And it basically was uh, the Power Rangers, but set in. Um, in Ireland uh, in 900 AD. Okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, did kind of, I was, right. you know, any, everything um, in terms of production on that show. And then uh, one of my contacts from when I was at a film festival, this man named um, Tom Quinn, who's the director of acquisitions at Samuel Goldwyn, I randomly reached out to him just to say hi a couple of times every few months. And then one time when I did, he's like, actually, we may have something for you starting out as an assistant. Um, and I quickly, you know, grew from assistant to uh, an acquisitions and development exec within like six to like six months later. So that's amazing. So before you go on to the sort of next step, I'd love to uncover how are you like a really good networker? Because that seems extremely hard. I mean, we know the breaking into that world is extremely even harder. I would say than advertising. Would you agree? Um, yes. I mean, I think it's equally as as challenging for sure. And there's uh, definitely a huge degree um, of nepotism, um, a huge degree of you know favors. Mm. Um, you know, and I I, I feel like it, it differs from advertising. In that, yes, there are a tremendous number of talented, smart people in Hollywood working at film studios and working at production companies. Um, but it often, you know, relationships um, and how you 
play the game factors in more than necessarily your talent or taste level. Um, I feel like advertising, you kind of, you have to prove yourself pretty quickly, either, you know, coming out of portfolio school Mm. or straight away. If you're a young producer, just being hungry and ready to soak everything in, like there, there are tangible things that you need to learn and, and exhibit before you move on to the next level where, whereas Hollywood, it's, it's a bit more of a, you know, definitely who, you know, helps out. Right. And so, yeah, how did you, did you know people or did you just, are you a good networker? I would, I would actually say I'm not a very good networker. I feel like that's one of my flaws. I think a big uh, luck, a bit of luck happened. And I also, um, while I was working at film festivals, um, I was the, the traffic manager, which is like the most one of the unsexiest titles at a film festival you can have. Basically, I had to chase down the filmmakers to get the actual prints of their film in time to the venues, like from wherever they may be, from, you know, Germany, from, um, uh, you know, from Pakistan. Um, You know, I once uh, had a shipment arrive to me and it was a giant barrel. Okay. Um, And when I opened it, it was full of gas, but it had been mismarked and it was coming to me from the Venice Film Festival, but somehow FedEx screwed up the tracking numbers and put the wrong tracking number on the wrong item. So I had one barrel that was full of gas and another barrel that was an airplane engine. And I was desperately (laughs) trying to uh, get a copy of this film that ended up being the Italian foreign film nominee for that year and of course the title escapes me but it was just one of those things where we ended up having to cancel the screening and I felt incredibly responsible but at the same time it's like what, what am I going to do yeah uh, I mean you can't be responsible for that yeah yeah and so um yeah it was it was it was a head scratcher um yeah. and so through that since I kind of controlled the prints and had that relationship with the filmmakers because I had a copy of their babies um a lot of the acquisitions executives would reach out to me mm. to try to get private screenings of films, um, either for themselves or for their bosses. And so I was often the, the a little bit of the broker where, you know, I'd be talking to the filmmaker and say, hey, so and so at Miramax or so and so at Samuel Goldwyn wants to screen your film. We have a break for these couple of days where I could, you know, go deliver it and bring yeah. it back in time and make sure that everything's okay. And so you had a very good black book at the yeah. end of that. That's yeah. pretty, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and so I just, you know, you, you're told in film school and you're told when you're trying to make it in LA is, is to network yeah. <laughs> and to reach out to those contacts. And so that's what I did. I mean, I, I emailed all of those people every couple months, everybody that I, that I knew or I had met. Um, and most of them were unreturned, mm-hmm. uh, except for, you know, Tom Quinn got back to me. I just happened to email on the right day when they were looking for, some, you know, uh, uh, you know, yeah. somebody for an level position. That's amazing. And every month, did you do that? Did you have a sort of specific email? I, the reason I ask is I find that it's extremely valuable, especially uh, a lot of women. So sometimes we're, we're not as good as net- networking. So any sort of tips? Sure. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I would always try to remind them um, why I was emailing, where we had met, um, what maybe even if we spoke, what we had 
talked about. Um, and uh, usually I would try to, since I was trying to get a job in development and acquisitions, make some sort of comment about a film that had just been released or mm. buzz coming out of a festival and kind of weigh in um, what my opinion was. Because, um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, kind of what your taste level is, what your interested in what you find exciting within that world since you're 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 reading a ton of scripts and you're seeing a ton of films and based on your reco like you know your boss or the a decision maker if you're not a decision maker is going to be potentially uh, investing or purchasing that film so mm. uh, so I, I guess you know remind them where I was from um say that I was looking for X, Y, or Z, and then give a little taste of, of me. So I, I th feel like that could be applied to advertising as oh, well in terms absolutely. of a bit of a reminder, like, hey, and what my ped what your pedigree is. Mm. And then, you know, maybe like I recently worked on this, or I've been thinking about this type of app, or, you know, I'm really excited by development in, you know, some new design trend. Yeah, I think that's And keep key. it short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep it short, but but don't just ask without uh, giving something of yourself. I think that's really important, quite yeah. key, because I think a lot of people sort of wonder why they're not getting replies, and it's because they just ask without, yeah. just give me this, uh, which is not helpful. And and one more thing that I would mm. add that I that I forgot that I did include, I would try to make a comment about either a, a you know a film that had recently been released by Mary, some sort of key bit of information that showed that I knew that company. Yeah. That's so key. So key. So it's not like a copy and paste email, basically. Exactly. Not. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the template can be certainly followed, but you know, if you're emailing someone like me at Droga five, um, make sure that you're commenting about my work and not, you know, yeah. somebody <laughs> I'm a <laughs> Londoner else. from, from <laughs> Wyden. Like, what do you think of I'm a Londoner? Like, I think I'm a Londoner is great, but I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> So I can tell that you might have had a, an email like that recently. <laughs> I did, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> good to have an example. So, so we we sort of sidetracked a little bit from your timeline. So, uh, uh, did, where did you go next um, after that work experience? Yeah, so um, I was at Goldwyn for a bit, and uh, and then uh, a friend of mine um, who was at HBO at the time moved from New York to LA to start an integrated division of an advertising agency whose clients were only film studio and TV networks. So mm -hmm. they were doing, you know, trailers and TV spots, um, uh, the key art in terms of the, the posters. And then she was going to, this was at the, the beginning kind of, of people realizing that digital or online was a way to reach people. Um, and so she was going to start the digital and sort of grassroots experiential um, arm of this. And I had grown a bit frustrated by the pace at which um, film development in terms of the development mm -hmm. of scripts worked. And so... Uh, Can you give me an example of that pace? Um, sure. Um I think last time you t we talked about it um, was uh, when you mentioned uh, ah, uh, Benjamin. Life. Yeah, Benjamin. Yes. So um, I, uh, yeah, so I was at Samuel Goldwyn Films in the early 2000s um, and reading a ton of scripts. And it was great because we had Sam's father's 
library of films to work from as far as fodder for remakes. And so I was working on doing a remake of the classic Danny Kaye film, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Uh, and, you know, at that time, Jim Carrey was one of the biggest comedy stars in the world. Um, Jamie Foxx was, you know, his career was starting to take off and, and Ben Stiller had been, you know, a solid comedic performer whose films did well for you know a couple of years by that point um and so we were working on the script and working with those three different teams to try and get one of those stars attached and you know i worked on that for three years while i was at goldwyn wow um, and nothing ever happened um and flash forward something like 13 or 14 years later we have the secret life of walter mitty starring <laughs> written and directed by Ben Stiller. So, wow, yes, the patience is uh, yeah. <laughs> it's completely different to advertising in that in that sense. Yeah. And so uh, that's one of the reasons why mm. moving into advertising was really kind of exciting and interesting to me. Um and I had the relationships with um within the film world um to pitch them as clients. Mm. Um and we were pretty small. Um I was a, an account manager, I was a media buyer, I was a project manager, and I was a producer all rolled in one. Wow. Uh, my clients included, you know, Warner Brothers during the Harry Potter era, um, Universal, Lionsgate, um, and IFC and, a couple, and Magnolia and a couple of smaller independent um, companies. And so it was pretty exciting. And it, it was my first introduction into digital in terms of making websites, um, display banner campaigns, mm. buying media, having an understanding of specs. And then we also did a lot of um, what we called uh, grassroots or guerrilla marketing, um, what now has kind of evolved into experiential um, right. And, uh, and it was great, but it, it, uh, it wore me out. Um, one thing that I, I learned after uh, I left that company was that I did not want to be an account person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, did, I did not want to be a media buyer. <laughs> Although, you know, the random trips to Cabo, courtesy of tvguide.com, were pretty nice. I'm um, sure, yeah. <laughs> At least you had some perks. Yeah. Um, and though what I really loved was, you know, going back to kind of my roots of like making, yeah. making things, um, you know, making digital experiences and making content. Um, and, you know, 2008 rolled around, the economy here um, crashed. Yeah. Sadly, that company went under. Um, at that point, I'd been in L.A. for 15 years. Um, and for, you know, personal reasons, I decided to move to Seattle, of all mm -hmm. places. Um, and... And how was that? <laughs> um, a bit of a shock. Um, I was, I was strangely, I was happy for a bit of a weather change. Um, in that, you know, I grew up on the East Coast, so we have four mm. seasons. Um, Seattle, I found out, has two. Yeah, um, so not <laughs> much, but different. Um, I think it's pretty similar to London in that. Uh, I thought it rained more. <laughs> it, well, it doesn't actually rain rain that often, but it's always 45 degrees. Like a majority of the year, it's between like 45 and 50 degrees, misty and gray. It's like you're <laughs> walking around and it's always four o'clock in the afternoon. 
And right. it's just, yes, it does sound a bit like London, actually. <laughs> Not at the moment, though, because it's really nice and sunny. But yeah, and Seattle in the summer is one of the most beautiful places I've I've experienced. You know, the sun doesn't set till ten o'clock at night, wow. and it's you know warm and it's dry. But you know, that's one month out of the year. Yeah. Um, but um, in Seattle, I got a I got a job at a um, a small you know first full service creative agency called uh, Cole and Weber United. Um, which is part of the WPP network. Mm-hmm. Uh, got my first taste of you know what I would call traditional advertising because we had a range of clients across you know CPG and tech and you know the lottery and um, you know and my favorite and most challenging client, which was um, the International Olympic Committee. Oh wow! Yeah, um, which is a bit odd, but the IOC had a contract with WPP. And, you know, prior to me joining Colin Weber, like they, there was like an internal pitch within WPP to then get that business and and Colin Weber won it um, for the Vancouver uh, uh, Winter Olympic Games. And so, and then that relationship just carried on and I started working at the tail end of the Vancouver Games, um, worked into London and then finally um, Sochi. Um, And we did, you know, the big broadcast spots that were then delivered to all of the the broadcasters around the world. So, you know, Mm. very challenging as far as localization. Um, And what was your role within that agency? Were you a producer or? I was a producer. Right. And and at that agency, um, you produced everything. So you, if you were on a campaign, you produced produced everything from, you know, radio, um, um, uh, print, digital, and film. Um, you owned everything soup to nuts. Um, so it was an amazing crash course, Mm. uh, in all, you know, I hadn't done radio before. Um, and I hadn't really done print other than sort of like wild postings. Um, I had done, I had done a lot of content and I had done a lot of digital. So it was, it was really exciting. Mm. So this, can we just pause here? Because that's quite, um, like really interesting the fact that it seems like all the different roles that you've had you really were thrown at the deep end and um, yeah. what were what were you like as a person are you quite relaxed that you're able to sort of sort of work things out quite quickly what's can you give me an image of that time um I I've, I mean I have to say I've always been a bit of an overachiever Right. Um, I expect a lot out of myself. Um, but one thing that I've learned mm-hmm. is to not be afraid to ask questions. Right. That's um, key. Yeah. And it's better. I, I've, this is one thing that I tell my the younger producers on my team. It's much more important to ask questions and break through that, that fear of looking dumb or that fear mm. of looking inexperienced than to assume something and make a mistake. Yeah. Um, and it's okay to make mistakes, but Absolutely. oftentimes when you when the project gets to the point where a producer is really owning it day by day, when you make a mistake, that that equals time and money, or mm. it can be irreversible. Um, so it's better just to double check, like with feedback with your creative team, did you mean this, this, and this? Mm. Or double check with your production company, okay, we can't do A, but here's a solve for B. Let me make sure that this is exactly what we can proceed with so that I can go back to my team and like, you know, so it's just asking questions. Um, and I think because I, 
I allowed myself to be vulnerable in that way, I learned a ton. Yeah, that that is so key. I think um, we've all been there where you're sort of too terrified to sort of ask questions. But in the end, we've all been been beginners at one point. Yeah. And and is that how you approached uh, Rage? Where you sort of like, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, did did you have another senior producer with you, or were you literally sort of dumped in there? No, I had I had a wonderful head of production. This man named uh, Pete Anderson, who still is a close friend of mine to this day, mm. who was incredibly supportive, very warm, didn't treat um, any questions as stupid questions. And so I, I felt, you know, luckily he, I felt comfortable and mm. safe enough to go to him and ask questions and it made things so much easier. And I feel like I understood the process of, of how, you know, radio works, yeah. um, uh, much more quickly because I, I, I felt okay to, to ask questions and to, to learn what that was yeah. rather than just like, jumping in the deep end, doggy paddling and, yeah. and panicking for, for months. But that's, that's really good. And you were in some ways quite lucky to have such a, an amazing mentor because it yeah. sounds like he was a mentor to you. Yeah, he was, was. Were there any time, because at the moment it seems like you've had a really cool career and then, you know, we'll talk about Jogger 5 in a bit, but were there any moments where you didn't have maybe a really great mentor or sort of difficult times? Um, yeah, I mean, certainly even early on in my career working in film, mm. um, bad behavior is not something at that time that ever got called out. And there's definitely, right. uh, an atmosphere of hazing, um, where, you know, the idea of, well, when I was assist an assistant, I had to do all of these things. And therefore, now that I'm in a position of authority, you're going to have to do all of these things mm. because I had to go through it. They're like rites of passage um, that yeah. could be yeah. everything from, you know, coffee cups flying at my head because <gasps> somebody, you know, because I couldn't get a the right reservation to, um, you know, having to deliver a, a, a pair of pants for an after party uh, at a, per, you know, at a premiere because somebody was uncomfortable. Um, you know, things oh that are God. a bit demeaning. A bit like um, the devil wears Prada. It feels a bit like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, only, yeah, I would have I would have preferred Miranda Priestley, I think. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay, we now need to, but like, yes, but in terms more of some of those, those tasks, you know. Yes. We're like, very yeah, demeaning. go and get me the, 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 the unpublished manuscript of Harry Potter's final book. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes the, the, the impossible was, was. Wow. Us. And so you must have developed some quite core skills, you know, can you sort of look back and say, you know, though, as much as they were difficult, I learned, you know, so much about me and X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I learned, um, what was acceptable Mm -hmm. for me, what my threshold was. Um, yeah. and, um, and I should be clear that the, what I'm describing was not just men, it was men and women. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and I learned to speak up, mm -hmm. um, or at least find, and to, to find, uh, you know, either a mentor or a safe person or a colleague where I could gut check like, Hey, this happened is this normal? Is this okay? Am mm. I, am I being too sensitive? Is this just the way the world works? Yeah. Um, 
you know, because assistants or young executives in Hollywood, um, you know, the war stories that I've heard, like mine are actually pretty minor compared to some of the other things that I've heard. I'm sure. And you, you made a very good point here about um, reaching out to people to find out what it's what's normal. And I really empathize with that because I remember, especially when you're young, you've got nothing to compare it to. Uh, I mean, in advertising, it's even, I find even more difficult because sometimes as a woman, uh, you, you don't have other women to compare yeah. it with. Um, so I think that's quite key. You know, when, when did you reach your threshold before you, before you thought, you know what, I need to go and, and, and speak to someone? Or did you realize internally, no, I need to, to seek help here? Um. Yeah, I mean the the coffee cup flying at my head was yeah. the the last straw. Um, yeah, I bet. And I it it smashed into my cubicle, and I wow, you know, I wanted to. It was I had a very visceral re- reaction <laughs> internally. I basically just you know wanted to kind of scream and kick and punch and swear. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I was, I was raised to con- contain those, uh, uh <laughs> those sorts of things. <laughs> so uh, what did you do? <laughs> I, I packed up, I grabbed my bag and, um, and I left and it was right before lunch. Um, and I left and I didn't return for the day. Um, and thankfully things were not working out with that person. Yeah. At the company. Um, and when I didn't return, um, one of my colleagues called me and, you know, we talked about it and it was, you know, many people saw what happened. Um, and, uh, I returned to the job like the next day and that person wasn't there. Oh, wow. Brilliant. Yeah. In some yeah. ways it's quite a good outcome. Yes. Um, <laughs> but thank you for, for sharing that because I really appreciate it. I think that's what I aim with to do with this podcast is, is to really sort of, we've all been there. We've all got sort of war stories and they kind of need to be spoken out because otherwise other people don't learn from it. And I think that's yeah. key. Um, yeah. It's. But, yeah. It, no, I mean, it's just, um, I I try to be now and you know an ear and receptive and as busy and stressful quote stressful our day-to-day jobs are and we're always running from meeting to meeting and deadlines are 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 crazy but I I try to exude at least a bit of an open kind of vibe Mm. um just so that people feel like oh okay they're maybe they're I don't really know Tasha that well but she's somebody that I feel I can talk to so that's that's also key because um, we all know we've all sort of seen some people who who exude the complete opposite. Yes, <laughs> feel very you know close and scared. And I mean, I know people who hadn't talked to some to one person for a whole year because they exuded that, which is ridiculous. Wow. Um, yeah. So so you kind of sort of learnt uh, all these skills from all these various jobs, and maybe this is a good time to sort of jump to to Droga Five. Sure. Um, do you want to explain a bit more about your role? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm the, the co-head of interactive production. Um, and at Droga, we, um, within production, we, you know, sort of divide ourselves 
uh, into different disciplines and different specialties. So we've got, you know, the film group who handles all of our, um, you know, traditional content production, TV spots, um, and online videos. We have art producers, you know, of course, who handle photography mm-hmm. um, and illustration, print production, out of home, all of that good stuff. And then interactive, we're a little bit of a strange beast in that we oversee any kind of production where we're asking users to do something. And wow. it could be, um, you know, an online experience. It could be a mixed reality experience. It could be a physical installation or experiential production, or it could be um, a new product that somehow mm. combines, um, you know, technology with um, something analog. So you're one of the biggest problem solvers at Drogify. <laughs> it feels like that's the job title that you should have. That's incredible. I mean, I get to do a lot of um, remarkable, silly, uh, you know, smile-producing, head-scratching things. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I get to be the, a person, I try to be the person who says yes every day wow. um, in terms of crazy creative dreams, whether, you know, it's a, a, a bespoke custom sneaker that orders pizza directly to wherever it is you're standing in the world um, or, you know, grandma's delivering Johnsonville sausage uh, family meals to your house via Uber. I mean, it's just, you know, fun, That's interesting pop-up cafes and cellular dead zones all around LA. Um, yeah. I can imagine a lot of people envying your job. I have to say it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty cool. I'm sure on a day to day, it's quite stressful though. <laughs> I mean, it, it can be because like I said, I try to say yes every day. I don't want to yeah. be that, that no person. Um, you know, yesterday I was literally trying to figure out how to create a cloud. Oh, wow. <laughs> An actual cloud in the sky cloud. Yeah, but wow. in like a contained space that, you know, somebody could potentially, you know, move around and interact with. So, I mean, it's, 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 it is, it's a ton of fun. Um, uh, but, you know, also there are times where I have to, to break creatives' hearts and, and say, no, we're <laughs> not going to be able to rebrand Space Mountain. I'm pretty sure Disney wants to keep it Disney. <laughs> but somehow I feel that if I were to work with you, I'd feel, do you know what, it's Tasha. She, she says yes all the time. If it's no, it's a true no. <laughs> Yeah, and that's that's I that's exactly why I try to reserve my no, and I yeah. also try to keep a very even keel so that when uh, when the shit hits the fan or it can't happen, people do listen to me. Yeah. You know, if you're running around like Chicken Little, no, nobody knows. You mm. know, it's possible or if it's not. Um, but yeah, no, that's pretty amazing. And what seems to be recurring to me is a kind of a theme, which is one sort of your little black book must be huge. It's not, it's not little. Is that right? (laughs) Um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's full of, my black book is full of very, um, unusual folks. Um, you know, I, I, people who can, uh, who do the costumes for 
and can do character creation for, you know, superhero films to, uh, you know, the, the best two way mirrors to, um, you know, a, a 3d printing robot that can, you know, I can send files directly to, and I can have in my hands in 30 seconds, like that, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so not little, so not big, but just incredible. <laughs> just very specific. Just very you know, specific. I, I don't have Colleen at widen on speed dial or anything, although I very much wish, you know, or, or, you know, luckily I get to walk upstairs and talk to David, but you know, I, I, I it's not full of power players. It's full of, full of people who can do remarkable things. So, so you're surrounded by very amazing minds and creative minds around you. Oh, yeah. Which is, which is really great. And um, the other, the second theme that I sort of seem sort of see here is also that you're very calm. And I know that kind of goes with, I mean, most producers I have met are very calm. But it seems like with both sort of things, the Black Book and Calm, it's something, is that something that you sort of learnt through that career, through, through going through all these different, um, agencies. Yeah. Um, and I learned pretty early on at, um, the agency that, that I worked at for where I had film and TV clients. Cause, um, you know, every campaign has a launch date. Yeah. Um, but for film and for TV, there is a premiere date, like, that movie is going to be in that theater on that date. There's no like wiggle room when it comes to like, Oh, well, you know, we'll traffic it on Monday. We'll try to debut it. You know, it's like, it's like when you have a Super Bowl spot or a mm. Grammy spot or something like you, you, it has to be there at that time. Um, but that is every single project. Um, yeah. and, um, so how do you deal with that stress? Um, I didn't deal with it very well to okay. be frank. Okay. Um, being the, uh, you know, the account person who is literally, my clients were calling me 24 seven, um, to complain and to scream and to yell. Um, then while also trying to manage and motivate the team to create whatever it is that we are trying to, to create, um, I would get very frustrated and I would get, um, visibly, uh, anxious and sweaty and, um, you know, would have to mm. lock myself in the bathroom and cry occasionally. Um, you know, and really I was, we've all been there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And spending really late nights whining and dining and showing up to work, you know, right. very little sleep hungover, trying to deal with these problems. And it just, I realized like I cannot do all of these things and all of these things are making me miserable mm -hmm. and, um, I'm really unhealthy right now. So, um, I need to, to focus in on what makes me happy and, yeah. um, what made me happy was making things. Um, and so that's why I focused in on, on production and, and re quickly realized that I do not have the, um, the skills to be an account person. No. Um, <laughs> and I don't blame you for that because yeah. I would kind of agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we all have like, and you know, and you're a creative and you have a very specific personality and, and, and skill sets of which I'm incredibly jealous. Um, and I, and I feel like our, our poor brothers and sisters in account get the short end of the stick, but you but know, they I also have, have great skill set. Sorry. Yeah. I like a good it. account person 
is just as important as, you know, a brilliant creative team and a can do miracle worker producer. Like, like it makes all the difference. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and it seems like you, you really sort of honed in on what you absolutely love. And, and how long have you been at Droga 5 for? I have been here, um, for three and a half years. Um, so I joined Droga right around, um, like we were about 200 people and it was right before we had won a number of pretty large accounts and where we grew, um, you know, exponentially, uh, pretty quickly. Mm. Um, but it's it was wonderful. I mean, Drogo was something that, you know, back in my Seattle days when Jay-Z Decoded came out, mm. I, it just blew my mind. And I'm a huge hip hop fan. And and the scope and the magnitude of that yeah. project was just remarkable. And so yeah. it was an agency and, and the um, the hard chorus. I mean, just, you know, just so many like very clever, beautiful pieces of storytelling. And so it was an agency that I'd always dreamt of, of working at. Mm. And um, when my wife and I moved to New York, I I first started at Google Creative Lab, but always with an eye on like, how do I get over to, to Droga? And um, Nicholas Lindstrom um, reached out and I ended up actually taking a bit of a demotion um, to come and join Droga just because I, I wanted to be here. I just, the it's the best creative and, and the best strategy and to have, you know, David and, and Neil Heyman's leadership um, mm. is just incredible. So. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. And actually, again, a sort of quite interesting lesson that um, sometimes you, it's worth taking the motion to be surrounded by the best out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and not to knock um, other agencies, but there are other, you know, agencies well long established since the, the Mad Men era where, um, you know, I would have made more money, um, had probably more time to spend with my wife, but the work was not something that was ex- as exciting to me. Like I, I like things that, that push and, and challenge me and, and ask me to do things that I've one never thought of two never thought possible. Um, and three, you know, have $5 and two weeks to make. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, the biggest problem solver out there. That's what it should be in your tagline. <laughs> oh, that's really good. Um, I think on that note, um, unless you sort of have anything else that you sort of would like to impart to, to the audience listening. Um, um, no, I mean, the only thing is, um, you know, as we talked about, I was really lucky um, in the relationship that I had uh, with Pete Anderson, like early on in my career, and to to have that kind of safe zone to go and speak to someone, um, you know, my boss. Um, and as I've gotten more experience, and as I've I've gotten, you know, risen up the ranks, I've not forgotten that. And I'd encourage any anybody listening who's able to be a bit of a mentor or to help someone who's junior to them, like, please do, because it makes, it makes a world of difference. Absolutely. And it's rewarding for yourself as well. It's not just uh, the young ones, you get something out of it. Yeah, definitely. So thank you so, so much, Tasha, for doing this all the way. Thank you. It's a pleasure. All the way from New York. Uh, Really appreciate that you've uh, taken that time out. Um, So yeah, until next time. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this episode of This Way Up. Please look out for more empowering interviews in the weeks to come. Like to know more or want to receive the following podcast straight to your inbox, go to www.thiswayup.io. Or you can also show your support by following This Way Up on Instagram. Exact links in the show notes. But that's it from me. Until next time.